Welcome to Double Happiness Multiplied with Sally Barker, the complete guide to enjoying your multiple pregnancy and building a happy, healthy family life. Welcome to Double Happiness Multiplied. I'm Sally Barker. Coming up on Episode 2, we'll be joined by Maternal Fetal Medicine Specialist Associate Professor Craig Pennell, who will give us some tips on what you should be asking during your appointments with your specialist or obstetrician. Sonographer Sam Ward explains what to expect at your ultrasound appointments at each stage of your pregnancy. And hypnobirthing practitioner and birthing doula Elise Jamison offers guidance about choosing the right support team for your pregnancy. Finding out you're expecting multiples can be quite a shock and can throw you into a world of confusion and anxiety. Knowing what questions to ask your obstetrician, midwife or sonographer and when you should ask specific questions isn't easy to navigate, especially for a first-time parent. A few questions you'll want to ask your obstetrician are what type of placentation do my babies have? What's your philosophy on delivering twins? How many multiples have you delivered in the past few years? What tests and procedures will I have to have? And how will I get in touch with you if I need you? To guide you further, Maternal Fetal Medicine Specialist, Associate Professor Craig Pennell has this advice. The first question that you should ask your obstetrician, what do I have to do in a twin pregnancy that's different from a singleton pregnancy? There are many things that are different. So, for example, you'll be seen more frequently in a twin pregnancy than a singleton pregnancy. You'll have a lot more ultrasound scans. The vitamin supplementation is a lot more important in twins than in singletons and it's not actually for the baby it's more for the mother because the babies will take what they need from the mother almost always. The second question that you should ask your obstetrician is what type of placentas do your twins have? Are your twins identical or not identical and because the dichorionic diamniotic twins which is where you have two sets of everything the risks in those twins outside of prematurity are very similar to singleton pregnancies whereas if you have identical twins then depending on the type those risks can go up from a few percent up to 20 to 30 percent of pregnancies having adverse outcomes. So you really want to know are you a low risk twin pregnancy, a moderate risk twin pregnancy or a very high risk twin pregnancy and the care that you will get and your expectations for the pregnancy will be very different depending on which group you're in. For example if you had non-identical twins dichorionic, diamniotic, two sets of everything, then you would generally have an ultrasound every four weeks and the only reason you would have scans more frequently than that would be if there were growth issues in one or both of them or if the blood flow studies, the Doppler assessments of the baby's flow through the cord, brain, etc. were abnormal and then the monitoring would go up. Whereas if you had monochorionic, diamniotic twins from... About 16 weeks onwards, you'll be scanned every two to three weeks. And there's a high-risk set of those where you develop a complication called twin-twin transfusion syndrome and those pregnancies are usually scanned weekly. And sometimes when the situation's becoming very complex, you may even be scanned daily. And then the rarest type of twins, which is monoamniotic twins, 
again, you will have an increased frequency of scanning to the point that if you were to have inpatient care, again, you may be scanned twice a week. And so there is a very broad spectrum of care that is required for twins, all dependent on the type of twins that you've got. Like you've said, the type of twin determines everything. Mm -hmm. That also determines the time of delivery Mm -hmm. and also the mode of delivery. Now, we'll discuss the mode of delivery in a later Mm -hmm. episode in a little bit more depth, but for now, do we need to know what we can expect? With modern obstetric care and based on the most recent data, most twin pregnancies are delivered by the end of their 37th week. With dichorionic diamniotic twins, if the women haven't gone into labour by 37 weeks, then they are induced or they have a planned caesarean section. And the reason for that is the rate of stillbirth starts to increase dramatically and there is no good way of predicting which lady with twins is going to have a stillbirth. And so that's where that window of 37 weeks has come from. In monochorionic twins, the identical twins, that is brought forward to 36 weeks. And in monoamniotic twins, that can be brought much further forwards. Typically, they're delivered in the low to mid-30s, but there, there are times when they're having intensive monitoring when they could be delivered as early as 28 weeks. Hypnobirthing practitioner and birthing doula Elise Jamison says after having a singleton pregnancy and birth and then a twin pregnancy and birth, she noticed there's a lot more protocols in place for multiple pregnancies and oftentimes those protocols might not be relevant to you and your babies. I think a lot of the time, especially for multiple births, but also even just for singletons, we're sort of go into the hospital system and we're put on a little conveyor belt and we just go through that, that system you know, travel through and all of the protocols are kind of told to us and we just follow them along. But sometimes the protocols, they're there for a reason and I absolutely respect them, but sometimes they're not based on your needs as an individual. So I'd be asking, what does it mean for me as an individual woman? What does that protocol mean to me and my babies? And is it appropriate for me to have this intervention or have this scan or have this test? Because as I said, the protocols are there for a reason, but Sometimes they may not relate to us as an individual. So I'd be questioning those kind of things. And for any kind of intervention or test or anything that is suggested to you by your care providers, I really love the BRAIN acronym. So the benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition and nothing. So what are the benefits of this procedure or test? What are the risks associated with it? Or what are the risks if I don't have it? What are the alternatives to this? What's my intuition telling me about this? And what happens if we just do nothing at the moment? Do we have time to wait? So you can use that BRAIN acronym, which is my favourite thing, during pregnancy and during your birth. And if you just go through that list of questions, it can can make you know choosing to have or not have an intervention or a test or anything like that easier, especially when you're in the throes of labour. If you've got an OB, if you've got a team of midwives, birth partner, husband, all of those things, making sure that everyone's on the same page so that when something props up, it's so easy to move through it. And that's how I feel my birth and pregnancy went as smoothly as it did, was that everyone knew what I wanted and everyone helped support me to have those things. If you're going in and you're, I guess, challenging the norm, making sure that you've researched. Don't just go in going, 
I want to have this type of birth and this is what I'm going to do at all costs. Like that's not going to end well for anybody. So if you're going in and going, actually, I know that an epidural is your protocol or I know that this is whatever it is, is your protocol. But what happens if we try this way? Is that an option for me? And here's all of the research I've done. What do you think about that? So going in and asking the questions and then finding out whether your care team and your care providers are supportive of that or whether there's somebody down the road who is skilled in that or who, you know, does work in that way. I think the biggest thing for me really is choosing your team. So choosing those people that you have around you, I think, is the most important thing. I think that women in today's society are going in a lot more informed than they have previously, and that should be no exception for women carrying more than one baby. I mean, it's especially important to know what you're getting in for. So I would absolutely be recommending women who do have more than one baby on board to get out there and do their research or go out there and find, you know, a childbirth educator or a doula or a midwife or somebody that can help you navigate all of the protocols and systems in place. I think having experienced a singleton pregnancy and birth and having experienced a multiple pregnancy and birth, there are a lot more protocols in place for, for multiples. So it's very important that you research and get that team on board, that good team for you on board. Just as important as having a team that you're confident with to guide you through your pregnancy, a sonographer who's skilled in multiple pregnancies is also crucial to not only your diagnosis, but how the management of your pregnancy is handled. Samantha Ward is a sonographer who's worked with multiple birth specialists for more than a decade. She agrees that the more informed you are about what to expect during your pregnancy, you'll be more prepared for each milestone or hurdle. So when we do the initial scan, the initial dating scan, and we see two babies within one chorionic sac, we need to establish if there are two amniotic sacs or one amniotic sac. And the way that we do that is that we look for a very thin dividing membrane between the two babies. Now, it's often difficult to see this membrane at less than 10 weeks gestation. So if we initially scan a patient at, say, seven or eight weeks, we see two babies, but we can't identify a dividing membrane. We ask the patient to come back at nine or 10 weeks of pregnancy. We do a transvaginal scan and we search very carefully for a dividing membrane. So if by the stage the patient has got to 10 weeks gestation and there is no dividing membrane, we know these are now monochorionic monoamniotic twins, the more complicated type of monochorionic or identical twins. Initially, we do the dating scan. Once we've established what type of twins they are, no matter whether they're monochorionic or dichorionic, the next routine scan that we would do would be at 12 weeks gestation. Now, this is a combination of a first trimester screen to assess the babies for a risk of having a chromosomal problem. And it also gives us a chance to look at the early developing structures of the babies. And in multiple pregnancies, particularly having a look at where the placentas are developing and where the cords are going into the placentas. After the 12-week scan, we would then scan the babies again at 15 weeks, again to check the growth and the early developing structures, checking their placentas, checking their placental cord insertions. And then following that, a 19-week scan would be done. So that, that's generally the pattern that we would scan both monochorionic and dichorionic twins, unless, of course, some complications are, are shown to be developing at any of those stages. During those scans, what are some of the things that you do look a little bit more closely at? 
With multiple pregnancies, there are things that we do look more closely at than we would with a singleton gestation. And equally, there are things that we look at more closely in a monochorionic set of twins than we would at a di in a dichorionic set of twins. So with the dichorionic or um, generally non-identical twins, we would look very closely at the growth and we compare the baby's growth. Are the, both the babies growing along the same centile and are both babies growing along the centile that we would expect for their gestational age? We also need to check that the fluid is equal in both of, of the sacs. These dichorionic set of twins have their own placenta. They don't share any blood flow through the placentas. So they're basically individual babies growing within mum's tummy at the same time. So although having said that, twin gestations are at higher risk for structural anomalies. So even our le less complicated set of twins, the non-identical set of twins, are at increased risk of heart anomalies and various other structural anomalies. So we keep a very close eye on their growth, the fluid around the babies, the placental function and uh, any potential structural anomalies. The monochorionic set of twins, however, we do quite a few different tests each time we do a scan. We assess the baby's growth, making sure again that they are of a similar size. We check the fluid in each of their sacs. So does one baby have a lot more fluid than the other or is the fluid concordant? We have a look at the monochorionic baby's bladders. Does one baby have a very, very full bladder and the other baby have quite an empty bladder or do they have equally sized bladders? We look at the dividing membrane. We want to make sure that that membrane is nice and freely floating. If it's not freely floating, it can be a sign that one of the babies is getting a reduced amount of fluid in its sac. We have a look at the placental cord insertions. Any twin gestation is at increased risk of having an abnormal placental cord insertion, but that's particularly so in the monochorionic set of twins and also twins that have arisen from assisted conception like IVF. We look at the placental appearance. So although monochorionic twins share a placenta, there is actually a, a sort of a subtle division between the placenta. So you can tell what half of the placenta belongs to each twin. So we just want to make sure that both halves of the placenta look nice and healthy. We also do a routine set of fetal dopplers. We check the blood flow through the cord of each baby. We check the blood flow through the middle cerebral artery, which is a, a blood vessel in baby's brain. So we check the waveform of the middle cerebral artery and also the peak systolic velocity of the blood flow through that vessel. And we have a look at the ductus venosus, which is a unique fetal blood vessel within baby's tummy. So all of those components that we're looking at add together to tell us the health of baby. And it also tells us, are the babies sharing the placenta equally? Because uh, monochorionic twins are at risk of various complications due to the shared placenta, the most common one being twin-twin transfusion syndrome. So all of those components are telling us, are the babies healthy? And are there any signs that perhaps the babies may be developing twin-twin or some other complication? What are some questions you would expect a woman to be asking during these scans to make sure that she is completely aware and you can explain things at the time? Women are very informed these days with the age of the internet. The minute people find out they're having monochromatic twins, they go home and Google. So, so they come to their scan and they have a lot of questions and, and they're very informed and quite rightly so. So as a sonographer, I find um, the, the main thing women ask are, are my babies growing nicely? Are they an equal size? And is there a normal amount of fluid in the baby's sacs? So they're the main questions that I find people ask. Other questions for patients that have 
a little bit more informed and maybe have had a chat to their obstetrician and have a bit more of an understanding of potential complications will ask us about the blood flows. Are, are the blood flows in the cord and the brain looking okay? Is the placenta looking healthy? Where is the cord inserting into the placenta? I find it as a sonographer very useful if patients ask me these questions at the time because I like to show them as I'm scanning in real time the fluid around their babies. I like to show them the blood flows through the cord and, and to the brain. If there is a complication developing, I find that the patient has a better understanding if we can actually show them in real time the difference, for example, the difference in the fluid in both of the sacs. If one baby has a lot of fluid and the other baby doesn't have much fluid, if the patient can visualise that and see that on the screen, they can really sort of comprehend, okay, now I really understand what you mean now by more fluid or less fluid. Having said that, as a sonographer, it isn't my role to diagnose and it's certainly not my role to advise the patient uh, what's going on and what treatment options there are available. But I find that when the patient can actually be shown what is potentially going on before they go through and have a chat to their obstetrician or their referring doctor, it does make it easier for them to, to visualise what's happening with their babies. Thank you for listening to Season 1, Episode 2 of Double Happiness Multiplied. On Episode 3, we'll be talking about the impact nutrition has at every stage of your multiple pregnancy. Maternal Fetal Medicine Specialist Associate Professor Craig Pennell joins us again, explaining the current suggested supplementation required to provide adequate vitamins and minerals for multiple fetuses. Nutritionist and dietitian Jessica Rusha from Essence of Eating tells us how to make the correct decisions about food to capitalise on your nutritional intake for the health of you and your babies. Hypnobirthing practitioner and birthing doula Elise Jamison joins us again, sharing how she was hospitalised with hyperemesis and struggled to eat for the first 18 weeks of her twin pregnancy. Janelle Snadden shares her story of eating as much heavy food as possible in the beginning of her quadruplet pregnancy to set herself up for her third trimester when she was running out of room in her abdomen for food. And I'll share my story of losing a significant amount of weight in my first trimester before realising I was pregnant and the battle to gain weight while suffering hyperemesis. I hope you're enjoying Season 1 of Double Happiness Multiplied. If you are, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating or a review. Until next time, I wish you double happiness multiplied. The only purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform and should not be used to diagnose any medical condition. It's no substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it doesn't constitute medical or other professional advice or services. Instead, I encourage you to discuss your options with a healthcare provider who specialises in multiple births. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experience and conclusions. Thank you for listening to Double Happiness Multiplied, the complete guide to enjoying your multiple pregnancy and building a happy and healthy family life. Remember to head over to doublehappinessmultiplied.com to get access to more great resources.